are uh, on a special Sunday today. This is Legacy Miracle Offering Sunday. If you don't know what that means, uh, I'm going to kind of just encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. We talked about why we do it and how long we've been doing it as a church. But what it is for us as a church, uh, if you want more specific details, we talk about how we handle money and all those things in last week's sermon. So if you want those details, grab them there. Uh, But I will say this for this week. What we believe as a church is there's three kinds of giving you see in Scripture. There's a tithe. That's 10% of what you bring in. There's an offering where from time and time again, God will call you to give above and beyond the tithe. That's an offering. And then we see in Scripture there's an extravagant gift where someone comes and and really gives like an extravagant type gift um, to the Lord. And so we see that. And so we try to model those patterns in our lives. And so what we do as a church is one time every year, We come together, it's at this time of the year, and we believe uh, as we come together that God will do a miraculous thing when we in unity bring an offering. And so it never goes to a salary or to to like anything for ourselves. It's always a way that we can stretch and use our faith and believe God to bring us into more and new. And so last week I announced to you that our Legacy Miracle offering, everything that comes in this year is going directly to the Love for a Child ministry. Give it up to God for Love for a Child. Joe Savali, the founder of that, is here, and he's going to be speaking in just a minute. But we were like, man, this is something we have to be a part of in a big way. And as you know, we've, we've made a space for it in our outreach center, and we've brought in volunteers, and Joe will talk about that in a minute. Um, but we are connecting. People say, Pastor, why, why would we partner with a, a foster care camp? You know, what, what does that have to do with church? And, you know, why, why are we getting so involved in something like this? And, uh, you know, one, the Scripture says... You don't forget and you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't neglect the widow and the orphan. And Are you with me today? Uh, but people say, oh, pastor, we need more prayer meetings. We need more prayer meetings. Oh, pastor, oh, we need godly leaders in the White House. We need godly leaders in leadership. And so we got, I mean, we got to make sure we're voting. We got to make sure we got, we're draining the swamp. We got to make sure we're doing all the things, right? And, so, and here's what I would say to all those things. Those are great. We love prayer. Prayer's a big emphasis here. But we could pray all day long, but if we don't roll up our sleeves and get to doing some things, and we can have all the leaders in all the right places, but if the church, the body of Christ, doesn't roll up his sleeves and take territory in places, it's all for naught. Are you with me? And so for us as a church, this is just where we say, amen, absolutely, we want to see the body of Christ advancing its territory in places like foster care communities and organizations. And so I just so love this ministry. I I love that. They put God first. I love that it's not just a one-time camp, that, but they provide mentorship all throughout the year. Uh, it's really unbelievably unique. And so everything that we bring in is our miracle offering. Why do we call it a miracle? We call it a miracle offering because every time we give generously and sacrificially, God comes in and does a miracle on top of it. And, um, and so it's really an honor that we get to be a part of it and do it. And so without taking up much more time, I'm going to pray. And then Joe's going to come up and share what this looks like for us. And um, I know you're going to be encouraged and challenged and inspired and, um, and uh, hopefully even a little bit convicted and, uh, and, and made into how God has called us to be. Amen. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word and your way. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you just speak to us, encourage us. God, I pray that you put a light on this sermon so that people can see it. And it, it, it'll, it'll get the um, places that it needs to go, Lord. You'll direct it into the places that it needs to be. Lord, I thank you. Kings and leaders are, are <coughs> excuse me, coming alongside uh, this ministry and this mission to bring it into what you've called it to be. We thank you for it. Lord, I thank you as Joe speaks. Lord, you anoint his words to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please welcome Joe Savali. Well, good morning, church. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, it's starting to kind of feel like a home away from home, coming out to Zealand uh, every other month. But it's a good place to be. Um, I am the founder of Love for a Child, and I'm so excited to just share a message with you guys today. I know for some of you in the uh, congregation, you've, you've watched the videos, you've maybe heard me speak in the last year or maybe two, but I promise you today is going to be a little bit different. And I just kind of ask that you kind of mend your hearts and just kind of come into this with a childlike fervor, just that today's message will hit you in the right spot. But I do want to mention one thing. If there's any young children in the audience, and um, we're going to be covering some emotional and some deeper things within the talk today. And if you think that it would be best to take your child out of the service, uh, I won't be saying anything that's too graphic, but just want to let you know there's some uh, emotional content that we're going to be covering today. But before I start, I want to say a massive thank you to you, Vertical Church, uh, Pastors Josh and Jess, because over the last two years, there's been a lot, a lot of work behind the scenes to get love for a child here in Zealand, an office here at City on the Hill, in the Outreach Center, and it just doesn't come by, oh, sure, there's an empty space, come on and move in. It's been a lot of prayer and finding the right people, the right supporters. And so um, from Love for a Child to Vertical Church and to the pastors, we want to thank you. We are grateful for your guys' commitment to us. Um, it's allowing our mission and our vision to grow beyond our wildest dreams. So we thank you for that. I also want to thank uh, Melissa and Chris Zorhoff. They are our West Side directors here in Zealand, and they have opened the office on the other side of this building. And through, obviously, what, what is one of the toughest years we've all endured, um, COVID and just all the content that comes with this year of just turning on your Facebook, um, Melissa has worked very, very hard to plant the love for a child flag in a time in our generation, in our history books, that most would have said, you opened an office, you started a new thing in 2020, are you crazy? Um, people have said it to us, so I, I really want to honor the fact that they've uh, answered the call, and it has not been easy. So can we give them an applause, please? And uh, last but not least, I wouldn't know what Zealand even is on the map until some years ago. I met this uh, large Hispanic guy named Joe Leal, and um, when I first met him, I think he was the employee of the month at Captain Sunday, um, or he just was a frequent buyer, I'm not sure. But um, we started going to concerts, and he led me to Josh, and it's just become a great friendship. And so um, I'm not here being able to share about this awesome mission we have without one of uh, Zealand West's own, not the East, right? That's Zealand West's own. So thank you, Joe. So when I started talking to Pastor Josh over the last month or so, and I knew I was coming to speak today, I said, how do you possibly sum up 2020? And are you sure that I'm the guy that you want speaking on your stage for the final Sunday of the month? Because people are going to be sitting in these gray chairs wanting something to uplift them to go into 2021 and really encourage them that like, hey, 2021 is going to be the best year of your lives. And I think we're all kind of sitting here and going, hey, it's still kind of uh, just as junky as it's been the whole year. And uh, is, there, is there going to be any hope? And so we're praying for that. But I'm honored that I can share this message today, um, a message of purpose and feeling of hopefully a piece of your heart that you've never looked at away until I get to share it today. And so when he asked me to speak, 
I started doing kind of what some leaders and some pastors do. You look for the poetic message and inside the, the, the beautiful chaos and the beautiful collision that is 2020. And I was coming up with all these titles and they all stunk. And I was walking around my house and I'm like, I was in my daughter's room cleaning up and I saw all of her children's books. She's almost two years old. And I saw like where the sidewalk ends and I saw the one in the middle is the green kangaroo and the Mickey Mouse and all these colorful books. But then like hidden in the, the back of, of the chest was this like crummy looking like, I'm like, who bought us this thing? Um, it's paper and it's like someone's probably spent 50 cents on printing it. And I kind of looked at the title and it just said, his name is Jesus. And I thought, oh gosh, man, some, some marketing department put a lot of thought into that. But then I kind of opened it up and I read through it. And I said, what a perfect way to share about love for a child, but to soften our hearts into child form today and speak to you on the level of a child and what they want. And so I read this book and it talks about Jesus in his 33rd year of life. He's been three years into his ministry. He's been called every name in the book. He's had stones thrown at him. Everywhere he walks, people are saying, you're not my Messiah, you're not my God, get out of here, this is my town. And there comes this moment where he's doing the work in the royal courts, and there's hundreds circling around him just to hear him speak, to hear what he's got to say. And people are throwing gold coins at him, and they're throwing their finest cloth at him. But then when the families from the local community heard, the local village, the children ran out of their homes, out of their huts, and they started grabbing daisies and roses from the flowers or from the fields, and they put a bouquet together, and they're running to the courts to see his face, these children. And as they finally run into the courts, they're yelling, Jesus, 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 over here, Jesus. And, and all the adults are saying, shh, shh, don't you understand? Like, Jesus is doing his work. Be quiet. You're a disruption. Go play. Go Go use your rocks somewhere else. This isn't a place for children. And there's this word that's been with me the whole year of moments, right? And I like to think that in this moment, Jesus kind of just stops preaching to the adults. And he says, would you excuse me for a moment? And he looks back and he gets on one knee, separates the crowd, and with open arms, he says, let the children run to me. Never, ever send them away from me. Always let the children come, for they too must learn how precious they are and how much God loves them. Always make time for the child. So he's doing his work trying to lead people to understand, I'm Jesus, I'm your Savior, I'm your Messiah, I came here from God. And he stops all of that. And people 500 deep can't tell that he's on one knee addressing just a few children to accept their flowers and look them in the eyes. And so today we're here to talk about a group of children right here in your community, in your local cities, who are trying to scream that same name. But they've never been introduced to him. The only thing they've been introduced to is a look, a, a, a life where they've constantly, constantly been overlooked. They're, they're yelling from their small hearts, and nobody is listening. 
And so in these moments, I look back at 2020 personally, and I say, man, it's been a year of heartache for a lot of people in this room. But for me personally, I would be a fool to complain because my daughter turned one years old in February. And I took her to Florida. And on March 11th, she took her very first steps on Daytona Beach, running across the sand. And we got on a plane and we came home. And six days later, later we were quarantined. And the world was kind of freaking out as we were kind of on that plane. Little did we know all, all the next months that would come. And we all kind of got scared and we all ran to the grocery stores and we bought food and the toilet paper and all these funny things we'll look back on. But I was home for every stinking minute of my daughter's first steps, her first words, the first time she ran from the couch to the TV, the first time she went up the steps, the first sentences she started putting together, all of these amazing moments where I say, man, 10 years from now, I am going to be so thankful that quarantine happened in 2020. Because when my daughter doesn't want me to put my arm around her at school or whatever it might be, I'll remember the long days of watching Toy Story 1 through 4 a thousand times, <laughs> but having my daughter in my lap. And that's my daughter, that's one child. But I'm gonna introduce you to an idea of some children right here in Zealand, in Kent County, in Ottawa County. Those moments don't exist for those, these kids. It's quite the opposite. So for love for a child who services foster children here in Michigan, let's talk about what 2020 kind of looked like for them. For the first time in history, we went from about 13,500 children to 15,783 children in the system, meaning we gained almost 2,000 kids into the system this year due to financial loss, due to parents sacrificing their rights because they couldn't afford living for them. But for the first time in US history, there are over 500 children living on government offices on cots in back rooms with basically babysitters that are with them every day. Right down the street in Grand Rapids, there are little kids, as we're sitting here in this nice, cozy environment, drinking coffee, watching a service, there are kids who were ripped from their homes in the last few months who didn't celebrate Christmas, laying on a government floor because there's no place for them to go. And we hear about these camps, and we hear about different after-school programs, Vacation Bible School and, and the Latchkey programs. That is not what this is. Love for a Child is a camp that was specifically tailored to children that are kind of the grunt of the litter. So with 15,000 kids being in the system, our kids kind of fall under two categories. That they'll either live in 10 homes by the age of 10 years old, or through their clinical reports, they will have been sexually, physically, and emotionally abused by five or more partners by the age of five years old. So we go to the very bottom of the barrel and we say, we want that little girl, that little boy that has so much hurt in their heart, who doesn't know what a father and doesn't know what a mother is, who's been locked in a closet and dragged across floors, who's given up on life, who is suicidal. We want them. We didn't come for the work to be easy. Let us have that one child. Unfortunately, yeah, we can't help the 15,000. Maybe one day we can. 
But God has positioned us to get on one knee, let the children come, and talk to the one. See, Michigan is the fourth worst state in the entire country for the development of these children having any successful adulthood. Six out of 10 of them won't graduate high school, and 52% of them will likely die by the age of 28, become drug addicts, homeless, or prostitutes. Those are real stats for Michigan foster care. We didn't dive in this for it to be glamorous. We dived in it to get our hands dirty and spread the love of Jesus Christ to a community that has never been introduced to him before. But the good news in 2020, that was the bad stuff. The good news is that through trial and error and through some challenges, we opened a new office in Zeeland, Michigan at City on the Hill. We brought on 60 new trained volunteers. We brought on 30 brand new mentors who visit the foster care homes every single month so that one of those child that I just described can have somebody to look forward to. And of the seven foster care camps that happen in the entire state of Michigan, six of them between April 1st and April 30th pulled the plug in fear and said, we're not gonna be able to raise money. We're not gonna do the whole mask thing. We're not willing to take the risk. We're done for the year. Close the door, we'll see you in 2021. But love for a child said, God, you didn't tell us no. You told us to fight through the work. We were the only camp in the entire state of Michigan. That means South UP that made it through, did a camp in August and successfully had our program approved to continue seeing the kids in their homes every single month. And that's not me just to raise my flag and give me a pat on the back and say, hey, where's our award? That's to say, hey, listen to God's call. We were not operating on a premise of fear when it came to COVID. We were operating on there's a little boy or a little girl during COVID who's going to be ripped out from their home, thrown in a van with a garbage bag, moved across the state, go into a new home, thrown under a new roof and say, hey, this is your new family. But for love for a child we became the traveling family. When that little girl said, hey, when is Miss Melissa gonna come see me? Roof, second roof, third bed, fourth bed, we showed up every single time. It wasn't easy, people ignored our phone calls, they hung up on us, they didn't answer emails, but I wasn't doing it for the government casework, I was doing it for the child. We showed up. So we wanna talk about who those kids are and I have just a couple stories to put things in perspective. The first story happened in 2018. I'm sitting in my office, I get a phone call. Hey, there's a little girl that should be in your program. Do you have room? I said, well, I get this call all the time. Tell me her story. Like, what, why should she be in our program? Well, we understand you live in Metro Detroit. Are you familiar with this certain crossroad? I said, yes, I, I, I live two miles from that crossroad. In fact, Macomb County is very much like Zealand. It's not known for the absolute riches, but there's money and there's suburbs and good jobs and you know people aren't breaking into cars. It's known for a good area. I said, yeah, she lives right there. See, what happened is three years ago, she um, basically went missing. She enrolled into this school. She didn't show up. A year went by. She enrolled into the school a second time. Now the principal starts to go, hey, why does this girl keep showing up on our paperwork? Year three comes by, she gets enrolled into the same school. 
principal starts to raise an eyebrow and say, I need to figure out what's going on here. So he makes a call to an emergency contact. The aunt of the little girl, her name's Riley, answers the phone. Says, yeah, we want nothing to do with this story. Mom has been gone since the day we remember. Dad is a drug addict. He moves from house to house to couch. We never can keep up with how many places he ends up. Don't worry about it. Most likely, he's just on to the next home. OK. And then a police officer goes to the house, checks on the house. Grass is two feet tall, window broken in. He reports nobody lives here. Eight more days goes by. They all of a sudden, the neighbor is cutting the grass. He turns off his lawnmower, and he stops dead in his tracks. And he's like, I can. I heard something from that house. So he immediately calls the police. The same patrol officer shows up to the home with now his partner in crime. They pull up, and they're like, hey, we were just here eight days ago. What's going on? But this time, the police officer hears the screams. So I was just here eight days ago. This can't be. They knock on the door. Nobody answers. They, the screams get louder. So now they kick open the door. There's drugs and booze bottles and filth as far as the eye can see. The whole house is destroyed. And they're looking out the windows. People are cutting their lawns, jumping in swimming pools. Kids are playing in the backyards. And then they open the door to the basement. They walk down these wood stairs. They see a cement floor, and there's a little 11-year-old girl in her underwear and a tank top, laying in a pile of pee and poop, chained by her left and right ankle to a pole where she had spent the last two years and some months by herself, living off Cheez-Its, milk, and water. And the story doesn't end there. She gets rescued put into therapy, and through all of her reports, she can identify somewhere between 50 and 75 different adults who entered that basement and physically took advantage of her. And we get the phone call, do you have room? People said, what do you do for a girl like that? What clinical therapy do you have for that little 11-year-old girl who has missed two Christmases, two birthdays, her childhood stone. I said, what would you do? They said, well, the first thing I would do is I would hug the stinking crap out of her. I said, well, we'll start there. What would you do? Oh, I would just embrace her and let her cry all over my chest and just embrace the tears. We'll do that too. There is no three-ring binder of algorithms that fixes that little girl's story but the first opportunity to be held and loved the way Jesus wants our children to be held. Now, she has a long journey ahead of her, and she's been in a few different homes since we've met her. But we have followed her from home to home, and that little girl now is going to be 15 in a few months. And we see her, and we've brought her gifts, and we've taken her to get her nails done. We've prayed for her. The, the foster parents have reached out to us for resources. We are in her life. She may not be able to vocalize the sentiment behind it, but it's being done. And so people say, well, Joe, why did you get into this work in the first place? See, I was 22 years old. I'm lost. I'm seeking purpose. I'm going through a hard time 14 years ago. 
I haven't graduated college with any big fancy degree. I haven't bought my first home. And I'm in this kind of lost place of life going, Jesus, how do you want to use me? God, just use me in some way. And so this pastor calls me and says, hey, we're going to launch this camp for foster care children. I need you to come be my teacher. I need you to come bring your marketing skills. I need you to come do all this. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm still trying to figure out my own life. I need to do it for myself first. And so then all of a sudden time goes by and it's August 2007 or 8 and I go to this campground and I'm like, all right, I'm going to change a child's life forever. I'm here for one child. I'm going to give him or her my best skill sets that Jesus has given me. And this little boy comes off the bus in a white tank top. His name's Timmy. He's from a little city called Waterford, Michigan. His dad died at age three. His mom was incarcerated at age four. He lived with his sister who had some different struggles of her own. And everything that was on paper said that this little boy had rage and trauma and anger and that he was going to be the worst thing that ever happened to me for six days. But he was sweet, and he was innocent, and he was sensitive, and he listened to every word I said. All he wanted to do is throw a football off the diving board and catch it for an entire week. And times, I didn't feel like I had the right words because he didn't really want to speak. He just wanted to be around me. And then that camp week would come to an end. And I would think about Timmy for an entire year, every day. Is he okay? Where is he at? See, this little child came into foster care and was put into a children's orphanage called the Children's Village, which has now been shut down by the state of Michigan, where he was treated like a slave. Got pulled out of his family's home for not doing anything, thrown into foster care. There was no room for him. Got thrown into an orphanage. Had to do physical manual labor all day. Had 45 minutes of recess got put into a white cell block room at 6.30 p.m. and told that he couldn't leave until 9 a.m. the next morning. The childhood ripped out from under him. One time he, le- he lived on his own for 10 weeks at the age of like 9 or 10 years old, ate all the food in the house. Nobody knew that he was living on his own. Documents of him eating grass on the front lawn just to satisfy the starvation. And then year two, Timmy came back to the same camp. This time, when he came off the bus, it wasn't this little child with his forehead down looking at the ground. It was a direct sprint into my chest. My little brother showed up. One of my best friends showed up. A kid I had been praying about for an entire year that I was worried about. I realized that I became a brother to a kid that has a whole different lifestyle than me. And then I would be there for his first day of high school, a football game, his first breakup, him graduating high school. Timmy is 23 years old. He now serves on Love for a Child as one of our head male counselors. I want to share this entire story, but we thought it would be best to give you a first-hand visual of what happens when God puts us in a position to give to the one orphan, to the one foster child. So we put together a video about this child. 
And I remember seeing my mom get zip-tied, thrown in the back of the van and taken to jail. I was put in the back of the police car and then taken to this cubicle. I was told, like, we don't have a home for you right now. You have no one to take care of you. I thought I got robbed out of my childhood. In third grade, I was left to defend by myself. Made a lot of my own food for a while. Figured out how to bake cakes. Ate a, ate a lot of dry cereal. I didn't have any money or anything. Only time I saw my mom was maybe at the first of the month to come pick up the check and then leave again. Sent us to a children's homeless center. And then from there, they treated us like we were criminals. Being like a, in foster care for a child, all, all you think is when you first are taken away from your family that, like, you did something wrong. You were the one that did something wrong. Eventually, you start thinking that, like, maybe your family just didn't want you anymore. It's a hard thing to think when you're little, like, your family just gave up on you and that you just, you just didn't want to try anymore. When you're little, you need support. You need someone to say, like, I love you and that, like, I'll be there for you. And for these foster care kids, like, there's no one to talk to. On the way here, it's just me and a whole bunch of kids just riding. I didn't really talk too much because I didn't know anyone. I was a little nervous. And then we got off the bus and saw a whole bunch of grown-ups just going wild and I really wasn't scared anymore because there was like a whole bunch of people just having fun, really. I was always cautious because things weren't necessarily always safe at home. And me feeling safe at the camp for the love for a child was one of the first times in my whole life that I ever felt safe. Just people that just talking to me, like checking up on me, make sure I'm okay. People just paid attention to me. I felt like I could be a natural kid. I realized here that I want to be in an environment that's like this, that that's good, that's not toxic. I didn't want to sell drugs. I didn't want to do drugs or drink or anything. It gave me the hope that things will get better. In uh, 2012, I started high school. Love for a Child would show up every once in a while just to check up and see how I was doing. It helped. I ended up graduating high school, and I really wasn't supposed to do that. Now I'm in college to actually become a cop, and one of the reasons why I wanted to become a cop was just to, just to help people, and that hopefully like one day come in an encounter with a kid that maybe just caught up in the wrong crowd. Me and you might have came from the same neighborhood. You don't have to be like everyone else there. As long as you are determined that you can make it, just you have to put your mind to it. You're not trapped. The moment when I first found out that I could become a camp counselor, I was actually really excited because I finally felt like I could give back to a greater cause. There is a need for this camp. You can just have one exposure, someone showing that they care. Just because you're dealt the bad hand in the beginning doesn't mean that you should have a bad hand for your entire life.
That's just one child that came into our program. And we've had hundreds and hundreds of others. And even as we stand here in Zeeland, Michigan, over the next few months, Melissa and I will be identifying children that are the grunt of the litter, who have had everything ripped out from their little hearts right here, miles away from this church. Whether you want to believe that or not, the Timmy stories and the little girl stories that I just mentioned live right here. And we often think about what does these kids look like? And if I saw them walking down the street, I would be able to recognize that they, they need a helping hand. They, their hair is not washed and they're missing teeth. And if we could just backtrack to that other photo of the little girl, this was the story I talked about just a few minutes ago. A little 11-year-old girl, this was taken when she was 11 and a half. So we don't see the hurt sometimes on the exterior when we're at a carnival with a painted face and snow cones and at a camp. But the reality is that girl was rescued out of what is a living nightmare. And in August when we had camp and we had the best year we've ever had, we got in our cars, we went home, and we prayed for the kids, and the calls started to come in. Hey, so-and-so has been moved again. Hey, so-and-so has been moved again. Hey, can I come see little Johnny? Oh, he, he's not here anymore. He's been moved again. It brought a reality to the fact that, hey, one week of their summer, they were treated like royalty, and they had the best experience of their life. But then they had to go back to this reality that is not so fun. And we were on the phone with a child's mother just a couple weeks ago. And she's been moved to a new home since August. And she's had multiple movements throughout her life. 10 years old, sweet little girl. And there's just this one sentence that keeps haunting my thought process. And she's like, hey, Mr. Joe, nobody wants me. I can say it to you from a stage on a microphone, but we are on the other side of a phone and a little girl who's now been moved into a new house where she's filled with fear and she's scared all the time and she's just expecting a van to show up again. Nobody wants me. I don't know, if you don't have a heart in your body, there's, I wanted to sprint to that house and just rescue this girl. I wanted to give her my couch wanted to give her my guest bedroom and paint it the color she wanted. And see, these amazing things are happening through our program. Not just volunteers who are committing to come to camp and give to a child or signing up to be a mentor, but like love for a child volunteers are turning into mentors, which are turning into foster parents. And they're bringing these kids into their homes. And we've had foster parents now adopting these children into good Christian homes. That was a never a part of the plan when we first started the camp 13 years ago. It was just an idea to give them a week of royalty, to give them a moment that escaped the hurt. And then we realized the work can't stop there. We have to be in Timmy's life for a decade and watch him be an adult. And I got to be there for when he calls me in the middle of the night and needs a bed to sleep on. And I wish we could chase down every child and every single one of them could come back to camp and be Timmy's story, but they don't always work out that way. And so why are we sitting in vertical church listening to this legacy today? Because we've all experienced some type of hurt this year. We've all experienced some type of letdown and depression and anxiety and all this crap and crumminess that's just been weighing on our shoulders. 
And I often like to think about it like we've all been in a relationship at one point in our life where the breakup goes bad, right? And you wonder if he or she is going to call. And you pace that living room and you look at your phone just a few times. You're wondering, man, if I could just talk to the person the entire time, I could fix this mistake. I could fix this hurt. I'm filled with such angst and let down. And the, the anxiety starts to build and the sleepless nights and a week goes by and two weeks go by and the depression hits and it weighs heavy. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and you think it's he or her. And I like to think that it's God sometimes just saying, hey, listen, my son, my child, I heard your cries. You've been yelling for me. You said, God, why aren't you here? Why aren't you protecting us? Why aren't you watching us? I don't understand. And God just says, listen, can you just be quiet for a moment? I've never, ever left you. I've been here the entire time with my arms open. I've just been waiting for you to run back to me. I've just been waiting to fill that loss. But I needed you to vocalize that I've been here. And God comes and he shows up every time through a whisper. And for these children, we're teaching them that in the hardest nights of their life, when they're in the back of that van moving to the next home, that they can whisper, his name is Jesus, and he shows up every time. That he's there wiping their tears in the middle of the night. But my prayer for this room, my prayer for this group of people, is that you're saying, hey, I've had a lot of selfishness this year. I've complained about everything. I've been negative about everything. I'm looking for something new to give next year. I'm looking to do something that I've never done before. And I'm asking you to join the Love for a Child team. I don't care if you're 90 or if you're 18. You have a skill set to hold a child with open arms and embrace their story. It doesn't take a, a scientist or some type of degree to realize that a child is hurting and all you have to do is comfort them. And on July 25th, those doors are going to open and 40 children with very, very hurting stories are going to walk through these doors and sit in your chairs. The only difference will be is that some of you will be an hour and a half away at a kid's camp with your heart your mind, and a family of volunteers who have been working all year together to say, I'm just waiting for the bus to show up. Because when the door opens to the bus and the 40 kids run off the bus with this baggage and this hurt and this sadness, you're going to be there with open arms for 40 children to say, I'm here to take it away. I'm here to be a catalyst for, for, for Christ and show you a life that you've never been introduced to before, that is safe and trustworthy and filled with authentic love that is only his name, that is Jesus. So I urge you, and I, I am asking today on this legacy giving, it takes a lot to make this all happen for the children. Would you sacrifice some Starbucks for the next couple of months? Would you give over and beyond your 10%? Would you trust Jesus with your giving and say, hey, I'm going to give to love for a child because there's a Timmy, there's a little girl living in a community nearby 
who's going to walk down this very aisle to one of these chairs in a few months, waiting for their life to be changed. And there is no value, no dollar amount big enough to bring that kid through the door and give them a royalty experience that not is just six days, but will plant Jesus into their heart for the rest of their lives. And if you're urged to fill that purpose in your life, to say, I don't know how I'm being used, but God's speaking to my heart right now, we'll have a table set up down the hallway and we're saying, come talk to us, give us your information, and we're gonna get you on the team in the next two weeks. And then our training starts in February. This isn't something that's a year out. Middle of February, we'll be in this very building starting our training with a team of volunteers that say, I'm here to be used by God, and I can't wait to meet the children. I could go on and on about all the stories and the hundreds of children that we've served, but today I just wanted to share a very simple elementary message of a group of children that need to know his name for the first time and it's gonna come through one of you. It's gonna come through your support. And so to wrap up 2020 from Love for a Child to Vertical Church, there's not enough words to say how much we're honored to be here in Zealand. In the next few months, there's gonna be a lot of work, there's gonna be a lot of tears, there's gonna be a lot of emotion that goes behind what we're about to do. But we're about to change the game that is foster care in Michigan for the child. I love you guys and thank you for having me. We'll get you out of here in just a few minutes, but I just want to kind of give you some instructions on what that looks like. Uh, I've been saying for the last several months, you know, we didn't get the short end of the stick that we live in 2020. God saw you able to be a person who can be victorious in the year 2020. Can I get an amen? I was talking to Joe a couple weeks ago and, um, and when we're on the phone, it's like, we were actually planning this day. And he said, man, I just got off the phone. The little girl he mentioned, imagine that, a little girl who at Christmas time got the news that the family that she was with didn't want her anymore. So at Christmas time, sent her away. Maybe she put up the tree, but didn't get to see the presents go under the tree. And she says to Joe, what's the deal? Why does nobody want me? It's insane. But what I love is that the message of heaven is God sending his best, best to earth to tell us, I do want you. And what I love about Love for a Child is corporations and, ident and uh, organizations have tried to come and say, hey, if you take the Jesus part out of it, if you just don't mention the gospel, if you just remove this from it, then we'll support you, then we'll be able to give you this much money, then we'll be able to do this. And Joe always stands for the gospel. Why? Because it's the barrier breaker. It's going to be the thing that actually ends these generational curses is when we can step in and bring the true freedom of Christ. And so I'm just telling you, you're not here by accident this morning. God chose you to be here to hear this message, to know about this ministry. Why? Because you get to be a part of what he just said. Changing. Being the change. Oh, 15,000. Pastor, that's never going to change. It's a broken cycle. You know, they make those decisions, and that's the reason those kids are in those environments. It's their fault. They deserve to be in this. Listen, I'm so glad I got rescued when I didn't deserve it. Just because it's a broken system doesn't mean it. Are you with me today? So we got a part to play in this, and we get to be a part of that message from heaven to earth that says, you are wanted by the most high God. Are you with me? We can do it. We can be a part of this. We just spent the whole year. You, the last couple of days, you walked around saying things like this. Oh, I eat too much. Oh, you kids got too many toys. You're going to have to get rid of some things. 
Why? Because we're way beyond blessed. We're spoiled. And so let's make the adjustments so that we can make a difference. How are we going to fix 15,000? You don't got to fix 15. We start with one and we watch God do the rest. Can I get an amen? He said, oh, Pastor, I might not have the money. I might not have money right now, but maybe you can serve. Maybe you can pray. You got to go to the table and find all the ways you can be involved. But I would encourage you, find a way to do something. Get seed in the ground. Trust God. And it's really kind of a silly thing to say, oh, I don't know that I can afford it. Well, the scripture says that when you give, like let's just trust God that the scripture is true, that when we give, he gives back way more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And so put your faith out there. Don't do anything reckless, but, but trust God and, and stretch your faith and do what you can and get some seed in the ground. So there's a few ways that you can do it. Uh, and, and again, just a couple minutes, we'll be out of here. But we do this at the end of the year specifically for a reason. We want all your charitable donations to end up uh, on this charitable donations receipt for you. So your tax exemption status, all those kind of things that we do at the end of the year. So everything you give by December the 31st at 1159, so right before the new year, will go on your charitable donations receipt for this year. Now, obviously, if it doesn't work for you now and you still want to give later into the new year, I encourage you to always be connected to this ministry. But my encouragement to you is you have from now until the end of the year to get in what the Lord leads you to get in. We always say this every year with the miracle offering. Do not give, as the scripture says, out of compulsion or manipulation or even inspiration or your hearts have been tugged on. Don't do that. You give because what God get, told you to give. It says, give what you've decided in your heart. What has God spoke to your heart to give? And then give that. And it says, give it cheerfully. But it says this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Who, who sows generously will reap generously. I know every person in this room wants to see this ministry be blessed generously and reap generously. Can I get an amen? So let's give generously. Let's see God do amazing things. The plan isn't just to do one camp or hire a couple people. You heard me last week. We want one camp and then two camps and 10 camps and we want nationwide, worldwide until we take over Disney World. Can I get an amen? That's what we're doing because God's going to do big things in this. So let's give. Let's give big Let's give what, what God tells us to. There's giving boxes on the back wall. If you're prepared today, you know God has already given you a number. You can take out the envelope and give by cash or check. We just ask that you write legacy on there. Uh, you'll see some special columns where you can write legacy. Write legacy on there, and then uh, we'll be able to keep track of all that and, and get that in for you. And so you can give on your way out, or you can give digitally. Um, even if you write a check and mail it to us, as long as it's uh, on the check dated for this year, we can get that on your charitable donations receipt. But those are all the ways. Give online, give in the app. There's drop-down menus when you go online. You just select Legacy, and we'll make sure every single thing you give goes to this ministry. Why? Because God's called us. Are you with me? To the widow, the orphan, for the one. I believe amazing things. You will change destiny, directions. You will literally unlock destinies like we saw Timmy. I just said, oh, you're going to throw a football? You're going to do a thing? But it's absolutely going to take what the enemy meant for evil turn it for good. I put it on my Facebook. Let's, let's just do a tidal wave of blessing today. Let's make sure we give the devil a black eye. Can I get it? And he deserves one this year. Come on. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to pray in for a minute and, and then we'll dismiss you. And, um, and yeah, let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word, your way. Lord, we just pray over these seeds, God, that you grow them, you multiply them. Lord, we want them to fall on good ground because we want to see your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. In Jesus name. Amen.